listening to Inside Healthy Teams by Apricot Consulting, a series that draws on the experience of experts to unearth the principles of personal and team leadership. For more information, go to apricotconsulting.us. Welcome to Inside Healthy Teams from Apricot Consulting. Revealing conversations with execs designed to provide leaders with practical insights to build healthy organizations. On this podcast, we're joined by Miranda Jensen. Miranda is the founder of Ensemble Group. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, Miranda, you can correct me. Miranda will provide insights on the critical topic of change management today and the role it plays in building a healthy organization for the future. Thanks for joining us, Miranda. Thanks, Avril. Thanks so much for having me along. Looking forward to our chat today. Fantastic. Very lucky to have you with us today. Um, So to start off, uh, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself, Miranda, and your organisation. Sure. So I fell into change management, as I think most change practitioners do in one way or another. Um, I often say that change is more about who you are as a person than, you know, your background or what you've done previously. And that was certainly the case for me. So uh, I, my background is as an artist. I studied opera as my undergraduate, um, hence the little uh, tip there on my company name, On Song Group. So that's all about my background and influences. And for me, it was all about um, that artist experience is all about storytelling and the human experience and, um, and, and, and just understanding life and people and that's what I really enjoyed about that artistry. And in parallel with my performing career, uh, I was doing some uh, consulting into uh, small business and then into to government and things and really found that uh, exploring the human experience and some of my first engagements were at the Department of Justice um, where, you know, you're working with the prison system and consumer affairs and sheriffs and, you know, all of these really eye-opening um, parts of our society. And so for me that just brought the, this new understanding of the human experience um, to life in a way that I hadn't previously experienced um, in my artistic career. And uh, so I found myself doing more and more around how people were responding to the changes in those organisations and uh, eventually went to KPMG as change practitioner and about six years ago formed Ensemble Group, my own boutique change management consulting practice. Fantastic. So tell us more about Ensemble Group. Sure. So we specialise in obviously the human experience and our responses to change. Uh, We use the methodology Transformation 3, which actually came out of my PhD research, again, which was in music, um, but where I landed was uh, absolutely in this space of change and transformation and understanding uh, how we transform. So, and most recently, um, sort of stretching that out more into personal transformation, which has always been there, but I just haven't had the time to focus on it because, as you would know, these sort of big organisational transformations that we do, very intensive. <laughs> um, and so I've done a number of them um, over the last six years. And, uh, yeah, just getting the time to sort of build out the methodology in, in other ways has been really exciting. And for our listeners out there who maybe aren't as familiar with change management, tell us a little bit about change management and why it's important. 
Sure, sure. So, look, really change management is uh, the experience of um, managing people through their responses to a, a change that may be happening uh, in their life or their organisation. Uh, and sometimes that, that's one and the same, you know, uh, organisational transformations can bring up really big, significant personal um, change for individuals as well around their career, obviously, if you're doing organisational design and things. Uh, so it's really uh, about understanding that human experience and, and observing those responses that individuals have and, um, and supporting them through that process. And obviously, over time, the change management industry has developed a number of different ways and tools and techniques for, for taking people on that journey. Fantastic. And, and why is it important, uh, particularly now in today's marketplace? Yeah, look, I think if we, you know, what's been really fascinating for me is exploring sort of how we got to where we got to. And I think I've really observed the most significant changes, you know, in the last decade in in how we do change management. Um, I remember, you know, going back 10 years, you you could still easily walk into an organisation and people would say, what is change management? And, uh, and you'd be doing that generic presentation and you'd show a change curve and um, talk about all the different responses and things um, and, and that just doesn't really happen that much uh, anymore you know most times you walk into an organization and 80 to 90 percent of people have experienced a very significant change and have been um, uh, part of the process and the, the capability uplift in understanding what is change and uh, how people respond to it and how to manage people through change so there's definitely been a big capability uplift and that of course has changed the way that we manage people through change um, the the pace of change obviously um, now is just extraordinary and uh, I think uh, you know, last year, obviously, uh, everyone just had to adopt to change. And so that was a really nice demonstration of how capable we are um, when mm-hmm. things need to happen. We can just get on board and, and do it. And in your experience with all the changes that you've led, is there any common themes that you come across um, or common challenges that you find in, in each initiative um, once you come on board to help them with change? Yeah, look, I think... Uh, <laughs> with experience, you um, you very quickly move away from trying to control the process. Um, and most organisations that I come into, there will be people that think that you can absolutely control, um, you know, have a really structured approach and um, and preempt everything and and manage to a very strict timeline. And we we know that that's just not how it goes in reality. And the more experience you have leading change, the more you find that to be true. Uh, and you find that the more you're able to be flexible and adaptive and responsive to things as they come up. Um, you know, the the more you're able to get to a better result. Because I think if you try and plan and preempt everything, and my number one rule for change is no assumptions. Um, so if you try uh, and do that, well, how far are you really going to change? You know, are you really going to get to the best outcome? And we're seeing this a lot in organisations, particularly uh, large technology projects, obviously. Um, you know, if you use sort of a bit more of an old school waterfall approach in your project management, uh, that the solution that you've designed by the time you implement it is actually already redundant for the way that the organisation is working. Mm. So we are moving that quickly that we need to flex and adapt as we go. Fantastic. And would you say there's any kind of key ingredients for success in managing a change or what do you find works best for you? 
Yeah, sure. So I've already given you um, my number one top tip, which is no assumptions. So that's uh, no assumptions about how people will respond, what the solution will be, um, you know, it, just anything, anytime you catch yourself or stakeholders um, making assumptions. And I often do make assumptions, but I say, oh, that's an assumption. And then I'll try and open it up to a little bit more of an exploration. So uh, that's actually quite challenging to do, but it is my number one rule of change. Uh, my second one uh, is, you know, just acknowledging that everyone responds to change differently and that every response is valid. And actually in uh, my personal transformation uh, approach, I'm going so far as saying that those responses are valuable because they tell us exactly what we need. Uh, so really in an organisational setting, really just allowing people to own their responses and uh, to create a space where they're comfortable to be their true authentic self and to work through their responses to change in their own time and way. Fantastic. And you touched on, um, I think, last year with COVID um, was quite a quite a real life example of a large change that everyone had to adapt to quite quickly. Um, so it's probably quite a, a good example of a change that we all experienced and experienced in different ways. Um, so how how is that? How has COVID nineteen changed the the marketplace, or has it resulted in um, so more of a need for change capability and resources? I think it's resulted in more of a need for support for the way that people have changed through 2020. <laughs> uh, we, we have changed so much and I'm definitely seeing a bit of a, a polarisation in the responses. So I think, you know, one end of the spectrum, we've got people that uh, loved last year because it brought them into a space of, um, you know, authenticity and, you know, finding your own best way of working and, um, and really managing your own responses. You know, you just had to. Uh, and then, of course, uh, on the other end of the spectrum, people have found it obviously and understandably extraordinarily difficult probably because of all of the things that people have enjoyed in that process as well. So I think some people have come out of it, you know, one way saying, wow, I learned so much about myself and I learned how um, my work style, you know, I learned that um, I'm best in the morning or um, I'm best if I stop and do exercise after each meeting or, you know, people have really explored their ways of working um, in a way that they previously weren't able to, you know, in that office environment. Um, and then also, obviously, other people have really struggled um, it, throughout that because that has been quite a confronting process as well. So I think the need that we have around change management is not so much the old traditional, uh, you know, fill in a stakeholder assessment and understand your impacts mm. and have a plan and engage and comms and all of that. It's not that stuff. It's, um, it, it's that human experience stuff. So really being able to create that space where people can explore all of their responses, both personally and and in their, the, the work and professional environment and um, really bring their best self um, to the table. And I definitely agree with that. I think from Apricot's perspective, what we've probably seen is the more of a recognition of the value of change management. And like you're saying, it's not necessarily the normal approach to change management, which is your, your templates and tools, et cetera, but probably just acknowledgement for organizations have had to adapt quite quickly mm. and respond quite quickly and with all of the changes underway both internally in an organization but also in the marketplace um i think what we've seen is leaders um or executives have recognized okay my team are really struggling with this or struggling to 
adapt and manage their work effectively. So what we've done a lot of is actually working with leaders to build their change capability. Mm. Um, probably for leaders who traditionally did training programs a long time ago that wouldn't have had change management as a core competency area. Um, so really working with those leaders to look at um, a number of different levels. How do they respond to change better? Um, so like you're saying, they all respond differently, but how do, from an emotional intelligence perspective, how do you actually, um, how does each person deal with it and recognize it and, and try to work through that? Then also, how do you actually lead your team through change? Um, so how do you support your team uh, recognizing it's not just yourself that needs that support? And then lastly, on, from an organizational change perspective, so um, how do you approach an organizational change? Because some of those organizations that we work with, um, they might be restructuring um, uh, and it's looking at, okay, how do you set up for success in terms of the way that you approach the change? Uh, and often what we find is, you know, we're told communication has happened and everyone's been communicated to. Uh, we don't know why they're being resistant. But once you look under the hood, uh, you often find that it's they've something's been decided and it's been announced to them. So they actually haven't been involved or had ownership of the change or had their ideas put forward. Um, so you start to see where some of those difficulties come in in, in an organisational change. Hmm. It's interesting. So, I've um, had two conversations in the last week with uh, people whose organisations uh, have downsized their floor um, space, like actually moved building in the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's many other examples of that happening at the moment. And so obviously that's not just uh, disruptive in terms of it being an unfamiliar space, but obviously the floor um, size has changed as well. So the, the remote work and all of that um, actually forming into to ongoing work practices, um, it's been really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely lots of change, you know, both externally in the marketplace and also internally in organisations. Mm-hmm. So for some people, it's just been the amount of change um has been somewhat overwhelming and I think brought resilience as a as a key a key area or important factor for organizations and leaders to consider Hmm. so tell me a bit more about how you approach uh the different change projects or programs um that you lead so what sort of framework or or methodology do you have yeah, sure. Um, so I'll talk to Transformation 3 because uh, I mentioned that before and that is the, the main tool that, that I use when working with uh, individuals and organisations. And really Transformation 3 is a real-time way of assessing and responding to the needs of an organisation or an individual as it's transforming. Uh, so it doesn't replace your traditional frameworks, your lineal frameworks around um, change or project management. It's a thinking model that provides an understanding of how things transform and it gives you the tools to be able to, to respond in the moment um, to whatever's going on in that transformation. So when we talk about the pace of change that's happening out in the world, this is a response to that. It's the ability to say, oh, that's where we're at. We're out of balance and, and that's why we're not moving forward or that's why we're feeling overwhelmed or, you know, that's why our people aren't taking accountability. And, you know, it, it helps you to, to really um, understand what's going on in an instant and then to know exactly what the right thing to do in that moment, whether it's a one-on-one corridor conversation with someone or whether it's uh, planning an executive um Uh, workshop or you know whatever or whether it's doing the full project plan it just gives you a way of understanding what's going on and what is needed in the organization uh, and to uh, target your approaches and the activities that you're doing accordingly 
Fantastic. So maybe tell us a bit more about um, that framework. That it's, it's, yeah, sure. It, well, yeah, tell us a bit more. It sounds fantastic. It, it is actually quite fascinating and everyone's always very interested on how I went from music into change management and uh, particularly with my PhD research because um, that started in the music space uh, and ended with this amazing Transformation 3 model. And so what I was studying through my research was um, the topic was a phenomenological inquiry into Pythagorean tuning in the creation of new music. So I'll break that down for you. Wow. Uh, so wow. uh, phenomenological inquiry is all about the human experience. So what are we exploring? Like, what are we experiencing um, in any given moment? The uh, Pythagorean tuning, so Pythagoras, ancient Greek philosopher, um, you would all know him from, from school, high school maths, um, you know, had that pure 3-2 uh, ratio um, that sort of underpinned his mathematical thinking, but as a philosopher that sort of carried into um, his understanding of uh, the musical scale. And so the Pythagorean tuning uh, scale has a, because it uses these pure ratios and these um, more sort of pure frequencies, it has a richer resonance, the quality of it. Um, I, I tend to describe it as sort of um, equal temperament, which is the standard that we use is more like a 2D experience and um, Pythagorean tuning or just intonation. And I know I'm using terms here that are only more familiar to musicians, but um, it just has a richer quality. And I had for the six years that I was doing this research, um, my piano at home perfectly, beautifully tuned to these um, Pythagorean frequencies. And what I found was uh, that if I was stressed, if I'd been doing client work all day, um, doing a big organisational transformation and carrying everybody's um, emotional responses, I'd get home and I would not be in alignment with these pure um, resonant frequencies. But if I got up on a Sunday morning and I'd read the paper and I'd had my cup of coffee and I was feeling nice and relaxed, I'd play at the piano and I would be in alignment with them. So what this told me was that these frequencies became the benchmark for how I wanted to feel. They were my destination. And then I also realised that they would provide me with this awareness of whether or not I was in alignment with them. And then they would also, as I would sit there and I would um, play either just a note repetitively or improvising or playing one of my own songs or somebody else's songs, it didn't matter. Whatever um, it was that I was being immersed in was shifting me from where I was to where I wanted to be and aligning me in with these frequencies. So I had one of those huge light bulb moments and I had my whiteboard um, up on the wall next to the piano and uh, I just mapped that out and I went, okay, well, here's three elements at play this is your your destination uh your awareness of your current state and this guidance element that is helping you it's providing you new perspectives that's helping shift you from where you are to where you want to be <clears throat> excuse me and, uh, of course, in that moment, I realised that that is what I had always been doing, leading change management in organisations. And so I was then very easily able to map in the traditional approaches um, into those three elements. And so how this model is different is that it's not about doing your current state work and then defining your future state and then um, working out how you're going to get there. It's actually about having those three elements in balance at all times. And what you find is that if you're out of balance, you stop moving, you stop transforming. So if you're um, too much in the awareness element, you'll feel stuck. Uh, if you're too much in the destination element, you'll feel overwhelmed. If you're too much in the guidance element, you're not taking accountability. 
So it's then becomes really easy to do that real-time um, assessment and responding because you know not only whether an organisation is too much in one of the elements or not enough in one of the elements, but you also know how to balance them, which is to focus on the element that they're either not enough in or um, the other two that they're not enough in to balance all three. So you have this real-time way of thinking that in any given moment uh, you can shift things forward. And the thing is we do this all the time. It's not something, it's not a new skill. The skill is being aware of it and using it proactively. Mm. And tell us a bit more about that guidance um, part of it. So, So what sits under that? Yeah, so the guidance element is not um, as many people assume. Many people assume that your project plan is guidance element because it's how, it's, you know, getting from A to B. It's not that. Your project plan actually sits over in the destination element because that's your little mini milestones um, that get you where you're going. So the guidance element then is it's not the how, it's everything that helps you get there. So it's um, new perspectives because if you don't have new perspectives, you're gonna, you might move from A to B, but it's, it might be a, an incremental change, but it's not going to be a real, you know, systemic transformational change in the way that you do things. Uh, so your new perspectives, that's um, methodologies, strategies, external consultants, um, you know, even just Googling a topic and, and getting some thoughts on it can help um, give you a new perspective that uh, shifts you from how you previously would have done something to doing that in a new way. And it's quite funny, actually. I'll give you the organisational example of being too much in the guidance element, which usually happens in the first six to 12 months of the transformation. Uh, an organisation embarks on uh, a program of work and they say, oh, we don't have the capability, let's get some consultants in. And the consultants do an amazing job at uh, doing some benchmarking, maturity assessments and all those sorts of things, which are incredibly helpful. Uh, but then the organisation uh, mistakenly think, oh, we're, we're, we've got all that great work done. We need to keep moving forward. Let's get some more external consultants in. And so you end up not taking accountability for those changes along the way because you go back to the thing that energised you to begin with. So you needed that guidance element to begin with, but actually after you'd balanced your three elements, um, you needed not to go back to guidance. You needed to, um, you know, get your mini milestone uh defined and start moving towards them fantastic and do you have any i suppose case studies that you can share with us um about about applying the framework and, and how that went yeah, sure. So um, I won't talk specifically to organisations because obviously uh, that can sometimes be a bit sensitive and, and individuals as well. But um, what I would say is uh, that I've seen it in action in many, many different uh, scenarios. So from the, the full scale three-year you know, organisational transformation where everything has changed, um, processes, services, uh, structures, technologies, the, the whole gamut and uh, the, being able to chunk things down and uh, to not be overwhelmed all the time, you know, to be really clear on those mini milestones and to, to constantly balance the elements in the moment um, has been critical to the success of those large-scale transformations happening because we know uh, so many times uh, that organisations embark on big change programs and uh, for whatever reason they fall over and then they will, you know, rebrand them or try and get them going again uh, and you don't want to be in that space you, you want to be in that space where your your people have the capability to be present in the moment see the immediate problems in front of them know that those problems that they're solving are part of the broader strategy and you know have really clear 
um, ways of, of getting there. And actually uh, that's um, bringing me to the opposite uh, sort of case study example around the personal transformation. And uh, someone gave me a beautiful quote yesterday around their experience with it uh, in that they previously would have continued towards the wrong destinations in their life but now that they've embedded Transformation 3 as a new way of thinking, what they're doing is they're much more aware of whether or not they're working towards the wrong destinations and they have the ability to shift those destinations and shift their, their path and be much more in alignment with their, their true self uh, rather than sort of working towards something that they thought they wanted um, and that not going very well. Um, so that's it's similar for organisations where we talked before about the pace of change and that by the time you've implemented something, often the world has changed around you and you actually need that to look differently. So it is that ability to be flexible and responsive and adaptive and, um, and manage your change in a real-time manner. Fantastic. And tell us about, in your experience, how do you measure success? So what, what what does success look like and how do you measure that? Yeah, look, I think you can do all the traditional ones and have your smart goals and um, I am a big fan of a benefits roadmap. Um, I think I'm a big fan of it because uh, organisations always struggle to do that well. Um, people really struggle to put down a target if they're not feeling confident that they're going to achieve it. Um, so I do like bringing that capability into organisations. But uh, in terms of whether or not a change has really been successful, and this is when we sort of talk more around the structural and the cultural um, types of change, because obviously implementing a new system, you know, you can have really clearly defined measures for that. Um, but when it's more around who we are and how we work and, and those sorts of things, it's you can feel the difference. And I know that that's a really difficult thing to, to measure. Uh, but you can, you can tell and you can see it in the behaviours and actions of your people and the things that they say and that the way that they interact. But what I find, um, and that's really easy for me to see or, you know, an external change practitioner to see, but what I find, particularly when it's a long, <laughs> large-scale program, is that people in the organisation cannot see how far they have changed um, and so there was one big transformation that I did and in the first uh, executive and management workshop, um, we really detailed uh, down some of those aspirations of, um, you know, we got people to say the types of things that people would say if their organisation had gotten to their destination. And it was really funny to look back a couple of years later and to see that the language and the dialogue in the organisation had actually shifted, um, but they couldn't see it because they had lived it. Um, so often it's really hard once you've been through such a significant transformation to look back to where you were before then and say, really, did we, did we really think and talk like that? Uh, so it is, it is something that you feel, um, but I would encourage change practitioners and leaders to, as much as possible at the start, really document some of those quotes and the language and um, things that people are saying around the place uh, and also what you want that to look like differently uh, because then you've got that evidence to really show how far you've come at the end of the, the initiative. Yes, I'd probably definitely agree with that. Often you get asked about, you know, what, what the measures of success are. So obviously there's the formal measures of success, but you can feel it, you can see it. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we can look at how many people attended training and use that as a measure of success. Um, but at the end of the day, has the ch change actually been adopted? Mm -hmm. um, 
and, and if it has been adopted, um, then I'm, I'm usually pretty happy that we've been successful in what we were trying to do. And it, it takes people time. Not everyone's going to get on board straight away. Um, everyone, like you said, experiences change differently uh, and they'll come on board gradually. So even myself, I've been in um, a change project where we actually set out, you know, if we get 60% of people on board, the rest will follow. Um, so how can we get those influencers and um, those people that are enthusiastic about the change on board and they can influence everyone else to come along. So it doesn't happen straight away, but you can definitely, you can feel it, hear it and sense it with your stakeholders um, if the change has been successful or not. Hmm. Yeah, you're making me think of um, the the term the laggards, which came out of yes, that that's, that's what I was looking for. I was trying to think of that curve. Yeah, yeah, the diffusion of innovation, that sort of 1970s, I think it was, you know, that really first understanding of, of change management, and that was in the agricultural space. And, you know, that idea of um, the people that are left behind, and that also makes me think of... Um, who moved my cheese, you know, like the, that kind of um, old school thinking about, oh, we have to shift everyone. And actually I've come to realise that some of the most beneficial people in your organisation are those that wait or, you know, like that, that just don't get on board until the very last minute. And that's perfectly okay because what they're doing, they're just focusing on doing their job and we need them to focus on doing their job. We don't need everyone in the organisation being innovators and, um, and mm. driving change and, you know, that is uh, unstabilising for an organisation. So you actually need all of the different responses along the way and really recognising the value of all of those responses and trusting that at the right time those people that and they'll probably it'll be flick a switch you know one day they're doing their job the same way they've always done it and I'll keep doing it keep doing it keep doing it keep doing it and it could be six months or 12 months that everybody else around them um, has moved on and then all of a sudden they see that that is actually beneficial and a good way of working it's been demonstrated to them that that is a good thing to do and they'll flick a switch and they'll get on board so you know again no assumptions and every response to change is valid and I think like what you're referring to earlier about being in control you know everyone wants to feel like they're in control and they have their a choice whereas if I feel like something's been forced on me um or I'm being pushed to do something that I haven't done before you know the natural reaction is people are going to resist so it's as much as possible giving people that empowerment and autonomy um to get on board once once they are ready Mm. um so and I think I move I generally as a person move quite quickly through things I'm I'm quite um, immediate so I often find there's one project we have at the moment where we've two large changes happening at the same time um so really I have to think about okay let's just focus on one change with them let them get through that let them process it let them get on board and then talk about the other change whereas for some people if there's too much happening at once it's just overwhelming so it's trying to really gradually and slowly um, not overwhelm people and get them on board. Okay, fantastic. So we'll come to the close um, of our podcast today, uh, Miranda. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we're so pleased and blessed to, to have you on the podcast with us today. Thank you to our listeners for joining us inside Healthy Teams. APRICOT can help you build a healthy organization for the future. And um, please do check out our website or our social media. Thanks for listening to Inside Healthy Teams by Apricot Consulting. We hope you found it helpful. And if you did, it would help us if you could rate and review this episode on your podcast platform and subscribe for more episodes. For more information, go to apricotconsulting.us.